Amen. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Also, we've had, uh, I'm sure that uh, if you're not familiar with the name, you'll, you'll know, I think I'll be able to describe who I'm talking to, but we have, we've had a husband and wife and a, and a uh, they have a, uh, their son is probably right around 20 years old, I'm not sure, autistic, but Melissa, Michael and Melissa. And, uh, but you need to be praying for Melissa. She was also in the car that Linda Frazier was in. And uh, so was Kyrie, for that matter. And the lady who had been coming with uh, Linda, she was driving it. Kyrie was completely unscathed. Nothing wrong with her whatsoever. Um, she was fine. The driver was, was pretty much fine, just some, some bruising and, and, and whatnot, but fine. And Melissa, though, did end up staying in the hospital. Uh, she, uh, they believe she broke, I believe she broke two ribs. I'm not certain yet. Actually, after the service, I'll be heading over there um, to their house. Uh, but praying for her. And if any ladies might be able to help, they, she might need some help. I was talking with her husband today. And uh, if ladies are able to maybe go, I'm thinking of trying to pair up once I go there and see what, it's, what, what we're dealing with. Maybe to get two ladies to pair up and go there for about an hour, probably right around lunchtime. He works from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. He's trying to get another son that can come over and help a little bit. And, uh, but if we could take about five days maybe and, and have some ladies help there, that would be good. So you can see myself or my wife um, after the service for that. And then I'll know more information tomorrow, but if we can get, get a list of ladies together who might be able to do that, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll go from there. Um, also, I wanted to say thank you to KFC. The last two weeks, they have brought me these cards, Kids for Christ Minister. They have been, they have been an encouragement. They've been very sweet. I, I appreciate KFC doing that for me. I, I've enjoyed those both these weeks. And I do believe that Bradley's mom, are you flying out this week? Tuesday, she's flying back to Romania. And, of course, they're missionaries in Romania, so we'll be praying for her. We're certainly glad you got to come in and spend some time here. And we're, we're very glad the Lord has sent your son here. And we'll get him right. We'll straighten him out. Phoenix really messed him up pretty bad there, but we'll, we'll help him. And, uh, no, we're, we are glad he's here and appreciate that. So we hope you have a safe trip back. And we really do appreciate your efforts serving our Lord in Romania. Thank you very much for that. Be praying for them. I've asked her about it. They've had a lot of refugees, of course, come in from Ukraine with the war that's taking place. Uh, so certainly be praying for them. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, read a couple of verses here, and then we'll begin. Verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to an, obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep, my, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. We thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing upon the teaching of your word this evening. I pray that you would guide it. Lord, please help me to stay true to your word and, and, to, and to be able to teach effectively and with understanding. Lord, that you'd help us to be grounded in your word. And, and Lord, to be strong in doctrine, Lord, that we would not be tossed about with different doctrines and that we would know why we believe, uh, and we know what we believe and why we believe it. 
So, Lord, I pray that you'd use this tonight as we finish this series on Calvinism. Again, Lord, I love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When it comes to the P of the tulip, again, there are, are many of those who think, or at least there's one point of Calvinism that I could believe. I remember when I first heard the general basis of it, I thought, well, I don't have too much of a problem with that. And we go through the definition, you're going to see there's parts of it that we certainly would agree with. But as we're going to see, no, it's, it's nothing, there's no way I could agree with the teaching of the perseverance of the saints with how it is taught in the doctrine of Calvinism. And, but again, it, it, it's, it, this is where Calvinism holds to the truth that you cannot lose your salvation, which is true. Which at the basis you think, oh, I agree with them. Here, they, they understand that it's not possible for a Christian to lose their salvation, which is true. And so you think you could agree with this based on that fact. But we're going to see that certainly is not the case at all. We, we have very, very different reasons as to why we believe one will not lose their salvation, as we're going to see here this evening. Um, one thing that I find very ironic about the P of the Tulip, and this one no doubt will get a lot of, a lot of comments on YouTube right now, is I, I think it's very Arminian, very Arminianistic. The very group that they fight against, yet when I go through what they believe about this, I'm like, the very thing you fight against is really what you're arguing for in this, and we'll see that as we go through it. They would very much disagree with that statement that I just made. So let's get into this a little bit, and let's start off with the definitions. I've got a couple of different ones here from their own writings when they're trying to define perseverance of the saints. This is uh, from a gentleman's book that the author is Burkhoff, and he said this. The continuance operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer, by which the work of the divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. That's one. doesn't sound too off. The last words we're going to see is we're going to... See where it's beginning to veer from Scripture. Here's another definition from somebody named Rose. Once God has begun the work of salvation in any person, he will persevere therein to the end and never let any of his own be lost. You can see a connection there between perseverance, the ability to persevere, and remaining saved. All right? Uh, more common definition now I'll read. This doctrine teaches that those who truly have come to saving faith in Christ will persevere in the faith. That sentence really does sum up what they believe about it. We'll dive into this. Um, let me read on from that. But let us appreciate the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and recognize that we might entertain the faith of our security in Christ only as we persevere in faith and holiness to the end. Now let's go to one of their primary documents, the Westminster Confession. This definition is a little bit longer. They whom God hath accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. And I agree with that statement, but here's their but. But shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free of free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. 
the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises all the certainty and infallibility thereof. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their perseverance, fall into grievous sins. For a time continuing continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, uh, hurt uh, um, and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. Now, again, there's parts of these definitions that I certainly agree with that I can see in Scripture and taught in the Bible. Let me go further with this. Um, Pink is a well-known Calvinist. You've probably, if you're familiar with different books on theology, you've been to Bible college, you've probably heard his name. And let me give quotes from him in regarding uh, perseverance of the saints. Holiness in this life is absolute necessary to salvation. Neither the members of the church nor the elect can be saved unless they persevere in holiness. Another quote from him. Endurance in faith is a condition in salvation. You can see the danger. He is right on a works-based salvation. The, very, the irony of this to me is just incredible. Calvinism stresses it's all of God. It's all of God. Yet here they are coming into our, our Arminian teaching of works tied to salvation. Now, they deny that, as we're going to see, because they say their ability to make that works all of God, so it's as if it excuses the argument that they're making. Well, then why could not those who believe that if they don't work, they're going to lose it? Why could they not maintain the same argument? So the Calvinistic doctrine of perseverance of the saints teaches perseverance is essential for salvation. They believe it provides the believer needed assurance. I have no problem with that. Here's my problem. And that it is effectual in their salvation. Now I have a problem. Once they go to that extreme, which is the foundation of perseverance of the saints, that it's actually effectual in salvation, that's a problem. Again, I believe that that the idea of a Christian persevering and serving the Lord and following Him certainly does provide a measure of assurance. It is evidence of salvation. I mean, after all, the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. My problem lies with the, the, the teaching here that it is effectual in salvation. They might like to deny that, but again, let me quote Pink one more time. Holiness in this life is absolutely necessary to salvation. Endurance in faith is a condition in salvation. They make it effectual. That's a major problem. This next set of teaching is coming from, this is not from anybody's blog or even any books. And I have no problem with that. I have two major books sitting on my desk right now that I use for Calvinism. What love is this? I I think every Christian should read that. I think as as far as it goes dealing with Calvinism, it's the easiest read out there, that book by Dave Hunt. The other one, no, that one you'll fall asleep by page two. You have to purpose to read the other one. 
Um, but this is not from any of those. This is from me finding their sermons, their material, and pulling from their material, all right, from their sermons. First I want to talk with was a man who just did recently go to be with the Lord, and that is R.C. Sproul, on his teaching of perseverance of the saints. And a lot of times I, I, am, I remember I was accused of this on my blog of taking these things out of context, and I tell him, listen, here's the reference. Prove it. Show me where I took this out of context. Here is this quote. And really, I don't see how this could be right in any context, for that matter. In, here's the quote, in and of myself, I am capable of sinning even unto the loss of my salvation. But I'm persuaded that God in His grace will keep me from that. That is a quote, if they would like the reference, go to the sermon, Can a Sinning Christian Lose His Salvation? According to Sproul, perseverance is necessary for salvation. That without God keeping him from sinning, he would fall away and lose his salvation. I have a question about that then. If Christ purged you from your sins, from all of your sins, how can you possibly come under condemnation again? And we're going to look more into that. I'll get more into that in the conclusion of this as we look at what is foundational when justification took place, which completely refutes this idea of perseverance of the saints. If all your sin has already been judged at Calvary and you by faith have went to Christ, how can you be judged again for your sin? That itself would attack the very justice of God. Let's go to John Piper. These two quotes are taken from one of his sermons about perseverance in the saint. The title of the sermon is, Be Diligent to Enter God's Rest. This first quote I just found so interesting uh, that he would say this. And, and he said, persevering in, uh, persevering in faith to the end is a community project. The point being in the message, we need each other to persevere. Now, is it all of God, or do we need each other? Which is it? Do you understand the contradiction? That I'm not so much attacking yet the essence of the problem of perseverance. Just, just I was just surprised to see that said, because it's within it's all of God, which I do believe. Even, my, even what keeps me saved is all of God. Another quote, anyone who puts his faith in God's promises, this is Piper, same sermon. Anyone who puts his faith in God's promises bought for us by the blood of Jesus and is diligent not to throw that faith away is part of the people of God. Now that, that quote, depending on, um, I take that to mean because he's a Calvinist, that he was, and, and, and teaching on perseverance of the saints, he meant it that way. But there is a context when that, that in, in one way could be true. Again, but he was asserting in, ne- in the message, the context is asserting the necessity of perseverance of the saints for salvation. This is dangerous. You come very close to adding works to salvation. This next sermon is from Schumacher, and the sermon is called The Necessity of Endurance for Salvation. The title alone is a problem. Um, but let's, let's pull some quotes from this message. Um, 
He says, so we see that sanctification is a necessary attribute of saving faith. One cannot be a saint without being sanctified. Now, at that level, we all would agree with that. This is one reason we must be striving to endure our salvation. That's where he went off. All right. Again, the first part of the statement I completely agree with. But his conclusion is unscriptural. It is jumping to that works into salvation. How we must strive. We have to be diligent or we lose it. And they believe now God will ensure that we have the ability to strive, the ability to be diligent so that we won't fall away. Just like Sproul said, he said, I believe that in me, I I have in me the ability to sin and fall away, but God won't let me. That I will persevere, that I I will have diligence, that I'm going to be striving so that that won't happen. So that, again, it's all making uh, what we do and how we live part of salvation, an effectual part of it. Multitude of sermons and books by Calvinists and the teaching under perseverance of the saint use sanctification to teach the necessity of perseverance in relation to salvation. Now, let's cover uh, very quickly here, and just just like one minute, I'm going to cover biblical sanctification. There are three aspects to it. We only need to worry about two. All right, positional and progressive, and then we have ultimate. That's when we're in heaven. There's no debate between us within that. But we need to understand what positional positional sanctification is versus progressive sanctification. They are two different doctrines in the Bible. They are two different aspects of sanctification. First off, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of several verses we can use for this. I'm just going to use this verse. It says this, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. As we can see here, we are sanctified already being a believer in Christ. This sanctification here has already taken place. How? How has it already taken place? Because my sins were purged, I received the righteousness of God applied to my life. At that very moment, I received a positional sanctification before God. It's already happened. It's present and it's there. No perseverance is mentioned here or referred to. Now there is also progressive sanctification. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
I'm just going to use this verse, and this is it. This verse does, in fact, teach progressive sanctification. That while we're on this earth, that we do need to strive towards holiness. But this is not to be effectual in our salvation. This is, uh, um, this is us as a result of our salvation. This chapter here, in context, is given to those who are saved. He in no way here is putting a condition on salvation. It's not talking about, by the way, if you're not you're going to lose, you could lose this, that if God did not give you the power and the grace to be holy as he is holy, then you would lose it. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, now that I am saved, what I should be doing with my life should be striving towards holiness. Not that it's effectual in my salvation, but that because it's a result of my salvation. It's not to be saved. It's because I am saved. Problems arise, and this is exactly what happens in the writings. They mix positional and progressive sanctification. Now, they deny that to them, but that is exactly what's taking place. It is a mixing of it. Let me go on to statements by John MacArthur. This is from his Master Seminary Journal that I looked up. Uh, his lectures to his students on perseverance of the saints. Um, here, in, in this first quote, he's actually quoting another individual. So he's using this in his lesson, quoting from Murray. And so I'm quoting MacArthur, quoting another guy. All right? <laughs> so it's Murray is who made this statement, but he was using it in teaching it. He said, but let us appreciate the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and recognize that we may entertain the faith of our security in Christ only as we persevere in faith and holiness to the end. Again, it's tied in perseverance as this essential part of salvation, making it effectual. Some more quotes here from those lectures. God's own holiness thus requires perseverance. God's grace ensures our perseverance, but this does not make it any less our perseverance. This is what I was telling you, how they get around it, where it's not our work. We have to persevere in order to be saved. That without it, I could sin and, have, and fall away. That that still could happen. Now, they, no Calvinist believes that that will happen because they believe through God's grace that every single one Christian will persevere to the end. The point is, listen to me. The danger is this. They believe that it is, it, although it won't happen, but that with how salvation works, that if God was not helping them to persevere, they could, in fact, lose their salvation. Do you see the danger of that? This comes to the border here. Well, some do and some do not. I will say that. A lot of times I like to go, when I read this, I'll see if I can find them presenting the gospel. All right. See if there's. I'd love to look for that aspect, uh, because some, it, it, there could be a different angle to it when they're teaching it to their students than when they present the actual gospel. So a lot of times I like to. I want to hear how they present the gospel. And to be honest, some I found it presented very clearly. While others, though, oh no, you could see it. <clears throat> Perseverance in no way makes salvation effectual. There is one thing that makes salvation effectual, and that is faith.
another quote from him. The maintenance of a Christian's faith is as much his work, uh, capital H there, as every other aspect of salvation. The his there being God. Faith is kindled and driven and maintained and fortified by God's grace. But to say that faith is God's gracious gift, which he maintains, is not to say that faith operates apart from the human will. This means, uh, the means by which God maintains their faith involves their full participation. Again, he was teaching this maintaining of our faith is all of God with our participation. So, just to point the obvious out here, if it's with our participation, then it's not all of God. I actually believe it's all of God. That it's not my participation that saves me. That it's all of God. And I'm not trying to wiggle around and say, well, he's the one that helps me to persevere, so then it's all him and I don't get any credit for it. No, you are still putting a measure of faith in what you are doing on this earth, whether you see it as evidence and so that you can't fall away, but it's through God's strength. Nonetheless, you are tying directly your own works and your own ability to persevere, your own ability to strive, your own ability to endure as tied directly into an effectual part of salvation. That's a major problem. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. They are confusing the results of salvation and making it conditions on salvation. Which, by the way, what did he come out of when he wrote the Institutes? Catholicism. It makes sense why he believed that. Speaking, of course, of John Calvin. The Calvinists like to argue this. That if you believe once saved, always saved apart from this, then you follow anti, uh, antinomianism. Which is no way. I completely... That's the idea... Antinomianism is, is the belief that once a person is saved, he can basically do whatever he wants. All right? Basically do whatever he wants. He's saved. It's done. You want to go kill 30 people, kill 30. You want to live however you want. It's done. You're saved. That's certainly not what I believe at all. No way. What that would prove to me is that that person was never converted to begin with. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Build all things are become new. Again, what we can see is the fruit of salvation, but it is not effectual. And there's enormous danger when you are making that an effectual part of salvation. And I assure you, that element stems from the, the, the Catholic background that John Calvin had. When the Lord saved me, this took place. The very moment of salvation. God's Holy Spirit indwelled me and sealed me unto when? The day of redemption. As a result of that work of the Spirit of God, I am a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Because I am saved, I will follow the Lord. So, 
the portion that I can agree with, with when they look at it is just saying, well, it's, it's, it's a proof of salvation. I agree. I believe those who have the strong desire to follow the Lord, that is proof. It is evidence of salvation, but it is not effectual. If you can't see where the devil is trying to get into that and, and, and attach something to the, the very heart of the gospel, you're blind. Those who profess to be saved and say, yes, oh yes, I have prayed a prayer and yet have no desire for God. It's simple. There was no conversion. We both agree a vain profession saves no one. But make no mistake, at the very moment of my salvation, all of my sins were imputed unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, I, I, I mentioned I got into that, that, that forum 20 years ago in debating Calvin. This is one of the essence of my arguments that I went with. Is trying, because what the, I, the irony here is, there's no Calvinist I know of that would disagree with the statement I just gave. That how all my sins, all of them, were imputed unto Christ. Yet they don't see the contradiction in their own belief. But yet, if it wasn't for perseverance, somehow that imputation that took place can be reversed. And now they're back on me. But because I will strive, God's not going to allow that to happen. What is wrong with you? Were all your sins put on Christ or not? That is not determined by your striving. That is determined by your faith in Christ. The penalty of sin, all sin, was paid by Jesus Christ. The teaching of the perseverance of the saints makes a result of salvation, a condition of salvation, and thus the error. The fruit of repentance will show up in the life of a believer in the Lord. It is a result of salvation, not effectual in salvation. This also, perseverance, leads to the idea of another dangerous doctrine called lordship salvation. Lordship, and I've dealt with that when I first got here many times, dealing with lordship salvation. Uh, um, now, all Calvinists do ascribe to that, uh, um, but others do as well. For instance, uh, a man who I certainly appreciate his witness in a great deal, Ray Comfort, um, he, he, that, that man is always witnessing, and I appreciate that greatly. But nonetheless, he does hold to this idea. Like I said, I, I wanted to use it for the soul winning class, but it was taken down. I'm hoping it was taken down simply because he realized that it grabbed him. I did something wrong here. I don't know. I have no idea why. But I, I, I did use it when I was in New Guinea for a soul winning example when I was teaching on this. And this was in the example. You've heard me talk about it before. He had two college students. And he was talking to them. They were on steps outside of one of the school buildings there. And he was going through the gospel with them and doing a great job until he gets to the end. Because that's where his belief in lordship salvation had kicked in. And he made the statement how they had to stop sinning. And the one kid, I'm telling you, you can see at least in the one, they were under conviction. They weren't, you can tell by body language so many times if somebody's listening, they're just looking like this, letting you go through the motions. They were listening to him. They were getting it. But then he makes that statement. And the one guy stopped and said, wait, wait, I don't understand. He asked us, he wasn't mocking in it. He wasn't trying to be ridiculed. 
he was just trying to understand. He said, so I have to be able to stop sinning? And I thought, oh, i got to see how he's going to answer this. And I was stunned. He didn't even hesitate. He said, yes. And then you just saw the countenance of the man just go down. He just put a condition on him that man could never do. And it was taken down. My belief is he realized, yeah, that's not a very good presentation. When it comes to the doctrine of repentance, the errors come in when we make the fruit of repentance effectual in repentance. If somebody is saved, I mean, don't, there, there's an element within our churches that like to deny this. But it's, it's also just as clear, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. As a result of salvation, does that mean I won't know? I'll sin. I, I, I can even fall into sin. That, that's why we have chastisement of God, even to the point of a sin unto death. By the way, there's the, for the Christian who has a sin unto death, not much persevering taking place, is there? And in the and Sapphira, they didn't exactly persevere, did they? Boom! Dead! I don't call that persevering. That doesn't meet my definition anyhow, persevering. But a, Christ, but a person who has the idea that because they prayed a prayer, I get to do whatever I want. No, no, no. You don't get it at all. If you're saved, you should have a desire for God. Not to live for this world. Please don't tell somebody if they're doing how well, I, you know, I, when I When I was 12, when I was 8, or when I was 28, I, you know, somebody came to my door and I prayed a prayer, so I'm good. No, you, you better listen. If you, have, you tell them, if you have no desire for God. If you don't have a desire for a sort of desire to do what's right, something's horribly wrong. That it's very possible that you are not saved. It's not simply words that save us. It is that true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, when you see what he's done, uh, I mean... How could you not? How, how could you still want to go back? I mean, I understand the power of the flesh at times. That happens. I get that. But that battle should be there. Knowing what he did for you. I remember I, uh, when uh, Pastor Malinak was in Bible college. Both of us went over our, our own ways that God worked in our own life. And, and because both of us were in the same thing. We could get people to pray a prayer. We didn't know each other yet. We're about the same age. I think we're the exact same age, actually. And in my life, again, I was going door-to-door every week. I'd see somebody make a profession every single week. I never heard a sermon against it, by the way, not one. Without, I, I'm not kidding. This wasn't a time I didn't get a profession, at least one. I thought they were genuinely saved. I wasn't being a hypocrite. I, I wasn't going back in for pride for reasons. You didn't hear me at testimony jump up and say, man, I got three this week. It never happened. I went out. Matter of fact, it was usually just me. And then it was just a Sunday night in a church service. It wasn't even preached on. I, happen, I don't remember why. I was usually always right up front over here or on the other side right up there. But for some reason, I was in the back row on this Sunday night service. And the conviction just hit. I mean, just a thought hit me. The service is going. I believe Pastor Bird had just started preaching. And I thought, there's no one in here that I've led to the Lord. Not one. And all of a sudden, the weight of that bothered me. And I knew, 
I'm doing something wrong. You want to know why? Because the next thought was this. And I'm not kidding. The next thought was this. Nobody ever had to beg me to go to church. Ever. When I got saved, something changed. Don't tell me God moved in and there's no change. It might be gradual. You're not super Christian overnight. But there should be a desire for the Lord. A desire for His Word. That should kick in. But what perseverance in Calvinism does, they attach a result of conversion. The indwelling Holy Spirit who is now giving life, who's now giving direction, who has amplified your conscience, who is giving conviction. They have now made what the fruit of the Spirit, what God's Holy Spirit does in my life and, 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 and tied into my ability to persevere as effectual in salvation. And I want to show you why that's completely impossible now. What has separated man from God is one thing. And one thing only. What is it? Sin. Alright? So sin is the issue that has to be dealt with. Sin is what has separated us from God. It is the cause of death, according to Scripture. Romans 6.23, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Sin is the very reason we need a Savior. Sin is the reason all men are condemned. And by the way, another argument I can make is it's not even in my notes, but it just hit me in the mind right now before I get into this. So, if I sin once, is that persevering? Or is it twice? Or is it three times? Or is it four? Which, which one is it? Because I do know this. The Bible says if any man say no sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. So at what point is it that without God's persevering, I could lose this? Anyhow, that's a whole other argument, but I'm, I'm going to go on. As we all know, I stress it all the time. All man is appointed a time to die, and then judgment comes. All have sinned, and unless something takes place to remove your sin... You will be found guilty. Now, follow me here because I wanted to get into how salvation works. So you can see the purpose behind this isn't, I mean, if there's anybody here that's not certain, I certainly want them to come to know Christ through it. But that's not the purpose of this right now. What I'm, the angle that I'm coming at the gospel right now is like this. I want you to understand why you could never lose your salvation. Because you cannot. But those who stand before God in judgment, as we know, and judged of Him, they will face an eternal death, an eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Romans 6.23, Revelation 20, uh, 12-15, Revelation 21.8, etc. So the question is then, what is it that removes my sin so that I can be saved? And is perseverance a part of that? Remember, the only thing keeping me from God, and it's a huge thing. I'm not minimizing it by any means, but I'm dealing with how salvation works. What is keeping me from God is sin. Do we understand that? All right. And at first glance, obviously, our future looks really bleak and hopeless. Because we all have sin, judgment is coming, the lake of fire is real, there's eternal death, and we are guilty. 
And without a doubt, the most prominent attribute of God in the Bible is holiness. The wages of sin are a result of two attributes of God. Holiness and justice, which is the second most. God is holy and God is just. and That's not changing. It's who He is. Because that is who He is, there is a penalty on sin. And God will not allow sin to go unpunished because He is just. But another attribute of God that, takes, that is necessary for salvation to take place is love. Some have asked the question, if God is love, if God loves everyone, excuse me, why does he not just save everyone? The answer is simple to that question. God's love cannot override his holiness and his justice. He had to find a way to make them all work perfectly together, and that's exactly what he did. The goal was what? To remove sin from man. Because without it removed, they would stand before a holy God who is just and be found guilty. So does, how does God solve the issue between His holiness, His justice, and His love for His creation? The answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. When God became a man, 100% man, 100% God, and as we know you hear me preach at every service, He lived the perfect life without sin. This is so important to why we are eternally saved. It's not my perseverance that keeps me saved. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's perseverance that keeps me saved. He lived a perfect life without sin. The only one to ever to accomplish this. He had no earthly father, thus no sin nature. He was perfect. He met the requirements of holiness. So, what does that have to do with our salvation? Of course, everything. Now, even right now, the Calvinists that are going to listen to us, they would agree with that, that statement. Then agree with it. It has everything to do with our salvation, not your perseverance. And God's infinite wisdom, in His sovereign power, in His love, He decided He would sacrifice Himself, God the Son. God determined Himself to pay the penalty of all sin Himself, death, separation. He would take our place. Because God became a man in the Lord Jesus Christ and was without sin, was perfect, He was now in a position that He could take our penalty upon Himself. This is why we have one of the great verses, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was innocent. He was without sin. He was perfect. 
Had he been any other man, like any other man, facing the same judgment, there's no way he could have been in a position to help us, save us, or anything. That's like two, two men drowning in the ocean, trying to save each other. Only thing that's going to happen is both men are going to drown. You need somebody who's not drowning to save you. The penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. So God, when he became a man, went to the cross after he lived a perfect life. And he shed his blood as a sacrifice for sins. Several verses deal with that. Revelation 1.5, multitude of verses. He truly, truly took our place. Judged for not part of my sins. For not some of my sins, but for all of my sins. Why did God do this? John 3.16 gives that answer. Because he loves us. Because he loved the world. So the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place, paid the penalty... But because he is God, after three days and three nights, he defeated death and rose again from the dead, thus defeating the penalty of sin. The sacrifice Jesus made satisfied holiness and justice. I'm going to read, I'm right, I'm going to go ahead and read the verse. It says this about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means satisfied. What did he satisfy? He satisfied holiness and he satisfied justice through his death. In other words, it worked. This before the perfect, holy God. And of course, God do it before he created the world. This would do it. This would satisfy justice. This would make it possible. This brings us to one of my favorite verses in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now again, everything I've said thus far, I don't think you'll find one Calvinist disagrees with. And that's where I want to challenge them. Because I'm going to show them you're going to go off the rails because of perseverance of the saints. So according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, what took place? All of my sin was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was judged for it. All right? And then his righteousness now comes to me. His perfect life. The one without sin. For he was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is where John Calvin was missing. So think about this. So all of my sin is on him. He makes available his perfect life. Now, he died for all. But as we know, his death is not effectual for all. Thus the key word with perseverance. Effectual. So then what Christ did, how does that become effectual in my life? So that... He is judged for my sins, and I receive his righteousness. So that, so that it looks as if he was the transgressor, and he was judged. He pays the penalty for my sin. 
And I receive his perfect life. His righteousness. The righteousness. There is no sin. There is no iniquity. There is no transgression. I get to receive that. How is that made effectual? For by grace are you saved through faith. All right? Now, multitudes, again, even though, oh, yeah, we agree with that. Do you? So if that's true, if you believe that's what makes it effectual, then at that very moment that I place my faith in Christ, when I am now regenerated, because God's Spirit comes in and gives my spirit life, I'm no longer separated from God. The word means separation. I now have God's indwelling Spirit, thus life. My spirit with God's Spirit. Now, born again by faith, sealed unto the day of redemption. Because at that moment, Christ's righteousness is applied to me, and I stand justified. I am now justified before Almighty God. If the Lord gives you His righteousness, His perfect righteousness, it met God's standard for perfection. There is no longer a barrier between you and God. Sin is taking care of all of my sin. And I stand justified. I'm His. If I am justified and all my sin is on Him, and I have Christ's righteousness, what is left to condemn me? Nothing. I am saved forever. I am His. That transaction cannot be undone any more than I can claim that I'm no longer my dad's son because I was born of his seed. Any more when you're born of God's seed can you claim, can you undo that either? Once Christ saves us and takes away our sins, the Bible says He seals us, He purifies us, 1 Peter 1.22, justifies us, Romans 5.1, passed from death unto life, John 5.24. This is why the Bible teaches you shall never perish. Because at the very moment of faith in Christ, the moment of conversion, I was justified before God. Not, and... And keeping my justification is not based on my ability to persevere. It's all based, my salvation is all of God and what He did in the cross. Not because He gives me special grace that I would never sin enough to fall away. No, all my sin was dealt with on the cross. I stand justified. So what happens when a Christian sins? I've already covered this briefly. God will chastise you. Hebrews chapter 12, 5 through 7. That's what takes place. And God knows exactly how to chastise you. Again, if not dealt with, there is a sin unto death. I've already mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. That's what will take place. There is a sin unto death. I am saved because at the very... I'm going to read, I'm going to read a verse to you. I'll, I'll, I'll be done. I might read a couple. This verse sums it up. If, if those who hold the perseverance of the saints would just see the truth right here, they would see 
that what keeps them saved is not this persevering or this enduring or this striving. It is this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, possess, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have it. I'm justified. Now, as a result of justification, I have a desire for God. God spirits in me. It has zero effectual part of my salvation. I was saved because of justification. Because of what Christ did alone. That is not conditional on perseverance and God give me the strength to persevere or I could ultimately lose it. That goes back to Catholic teaching. You never know if you're saved. It's up to the church. You've got to watch it. We are eternally saved because at the very moment of salvation, of conversion, all your sins were judged already. It is finished. And I have the righteousness of Christ imputed unto me. It's already there. It is not conditional on perseverance. Perseverance is not effectual in that remaining with me. What is given in the Bible, what makes it take place and makes it effectual is faith. Is faith. So as you can see, even the P of Calvinism is something in no way I could agree with. I do agree that a true born-again person will desire and work to follow the Lord. I agree with that completely. But it in no way is effectual. It is not. It is, there is no way, like the, spa, the, the statement that Sproul made, if it wasn't for God giving me the ability to persevere, I certainly could sin and fall away. There is no truth in that. And that is so dangerous because it's throwing, without even realizing it, works right into salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I know this was a teaching tonight. You might have something that's been on your heart and, and you, need, you just want to come and pray. I certainly want to give time to do that. And there's anyone here right now, I want, to ask you, I want to ask this question. Please listen. Maybe you're here and you're not certain that you have ever been converted. What I mean by that is you don't know for certain that heaven is your home. Listen, you just heard a lesson of what Christ did for you to save you from the coming judgment. He did die for your sins. He took your place in judgment so that He could save you from what is to come. And if you'll come to Him in repentance and faith, He will save you. There's nothing more important than that. Nothing at all. It is what life is about. Judgment is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Is there anyone who say, Pastor, please pray for me? I think that's me. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I hear you. I'm not certain. Please pray for me. Would you just put your hand up where I can see it? Anybody here like that right now? I see some small children. If you did put your hand up, I didn't see it. I would need you to do it again. All right, Christian. If you need to come and pray, I want to give opportunity for you to do that. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page number 305. Ooh, I went long today. I did not know that. Thank you.